Welcome to CrossCast, where we discuss the modern relevance of the Bible from the Christian point of view. We shed light on subjects uncommon in the church and bring clarity to the gray zones and in all cases glorify God. So once again, welcome to CrossCast. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. We are in the middle of the Spiritual Warfare series. This is part two, and today we're going to be talking about Satan. And before we get into the topic of Satan, just to set the table here, we are in a spiritual war, and your awareness of this war has no bearing on its existence. The war is happening. We talked about last episode and discernment about ways in which we look past the physical veil into the spiritual realm so that way we can determine things that are evil and things that are good, things that are righteous. And in this spiritual war, we have an enemy, and its leader is Satan. To be absolutely clear, God is not happy with Satan. God is not happy with the fallen angels that decided to rebel against God along with Satan. There is no forgiveness for these angels, for these fallen ones. And there can be no redemption. We as humans get to enjoy the redemption through Jesus Christ, and we are redeemed from the wickedness that we have committed. But these angels, these entities have sinned. They have rebelled against our God, and they have been thrown out. And there is no redemption. So here we are. We're in the midst of this. Again, tonight we're going to look specifically in Spiritual Warfare Part 2 who Satan really is. Because there's many misconceptions out there as to who he really is and who he's not. I hope that this episode is one that, um, that brings some light, some clarity to the enemy, the adversary that we talk about so much, that we give so much blame to. Well, the devil made me do it. So with that, I hope that this is very helpful as we move through this series. Right, and what we want to talk about tonight also is in episode one of Spiritual Warfare, we talked about discernment. We talked about it as how it affects you and how it's used and how it benefits us. And that's kind of like how you play the game is how I was describing it when we talked about this earlier. Now what we're doing is we're putting the players into place. And so Satan is kind of the chief adversary. He's the king-queen combo on the chessboard whereas the demons would fill the role of the pawns, the knight, and such as kind of the pieces that are moved. And we're going to get into them at a later episode. But right now it's kind of, here's the quarterback on the other team. Let's look at some play footage and just really examine the chief player that's coming at you, the guy who's calling the shots. And to be clear, too, that there's not this equal struggle going on between God and the devil about who's going to win the war. Oh, Satan's starting to gain ground on God, and then here comes God with another counter strike, and now he's starting to regain territory. No, that's not it at all. There is no epic struggle between good and evil that is going to determine the outcome of the war. And so that's something that we want to put up front immediately that Satan is a creature, he's not an infinite being, and he's not anywhere near the level of God. 
Well, and also we talked about that in the Return of Christ episode in the Bible Prophecy series. We keep coming back to this. It's a good series. Yeah. Well, and we talked about in that episode how it's not a competition. It's Christ rips open the sky, descends, speaks destruction, and it's over. So is that fast? Right. And that definitely speaks to the authority, the power, the infinite authority and power that God has and that he will exercise and execute against the adversary, against Satan. And so there's no equal, like the yin-yang, you know, there's equal amount of evil versus equal amount of good. And there's always this balance in the force or balance in the universe, because I mean, we see this in the movies, it's kind of laughable, but you see this in the Eastern mysticism and the new age cults of this balance to the world. And yes, it comes right out in the star Wars and that's not what's going on at all. Evil is defeated. Now it's loose for a time, but evil is defeated in the end. We have victory over death, hell, and the grave through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so all of that is settled. It's done. And we're going to look at some of this tonight. Again, another scripture-heavy episode because there's really no other way to tell the story other than to look at what the Bible says directly. Well, and also here in America, and I guess a lot of the world today, I I haven't been to a lot of the rest of the world, but really here in America, we pull so much of our doctrinally, socially, which is where everybody is found, from Hollywood, from TV, and from movies, and um, we really start to buy into the things they say, but what you have to get is the things they say are created from somebody's ideas, or like you said, Eastern mysticism, they're looking at the idea, just take Star Wars, you put it on the table, take the idea of Star Wars, it's okay, we have to create a religion of the Jedi, and it's got to have this balance between the light side and the dark side, well, that works like the yin and the yang, and Every person would have a light side and a dark side and you would focus on which, but that's like you said, that's not the case at hand, right? The folklore, the culture, different traditions, these fables and stories that are told start working their way into the Christian mindset and point of view about who the devil is and who God is and this wrestle between the two. And it's ridiculous. I've seen so many types of, art pieces, whether it's animations or artwork that's displayed, some sort of representation of the struggle. And we have to play our role to, you know, determine the outcome. Look, you can do nothing and go to hell and God is going to still reign on his throne. Regardless, it wasn't even close. Now God wants you in his kingdom redeemed through Christ You know, so there's this thing that we have that we think that we're going to influence the outcome from a standpoint of who's going to win between God and the devil, and we're not. We're just in the world while this war is being waged, while this plan of God is unfolding in order to give glory to God, because God will get the glory. That's the whole purpose of why the devil exists, is so that way God can get the glory to demonstrate how he is very powerful infinitely powerful and there's none like them. And so again, we're going to walk through this as we go to this episode to describe this setup. Right. And here's another little thing to this also um, with the imagery, because we're going to talk about this, that the devil is an angel of light. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the sermon. So here's the history of this in the old world, the Greek and the Roman world. The primary art form was really sculpting. Everything was sculptures. You always see 
Michelangelo's David and such as it was sculpting the Roman fountains. And then when you have the influence of the Catholic church come in, they kind of ban the nudity because a lot of the sculptures were nude. It really moves over into paintings at that point and throughout paintings. A lot of them have a very heavy Christian influence again, because of the Catholic church. And this is Europe. So through the time periods of, you know, the past few centuries of mainstream art, or fine art, what you see in art museums from the European influence, a lot of it is God and the devil. And in these paintings, they had to create a difference. You have to be able to look at the painting and tell who's who in a picture. And so that's where you have a very heavy influence of Satan being red with horns, a pointy tail, bat wings instead of feathered bird wings. Like it's an artist's way of differentiating that's the bad angel, and these over here are the good angels. Um, it's an artistic rendering, but because of the influences of the Renaissance and such as that aff- affected people's ideas in Europe, and then it comes over to America with the pilgrims and, and other European settlers who bring that imagery and bring those ideas with them, it's in our psyche that the devil looks like that, that he has horns, that he has tails, that is black and red and aggressive and evil and dark and angry, and that angels are white with feathery wings. Correct, and that could set somebody up for deception whenever they start thinking about a feeling. We talked about this in discernment, not to rehash the last Right, episode. we talked about it a little bit. Right, so not to go back through what we discussed last time, but people start looking for these softer more comfortable type environments and say, this feels comfortable. This feels nice. This feels happy. Therefore it must be good because it's not cold, prickly, nasty, ugly, stinky, because then that would be bad. And this gets injected into our intellect about how we think the devil may look like or how he may function. And there's a lot of misnomers out there. Right. And as we go on with this series, we'll get to this point, but there are churches that are more influenced by demons than they are by God. I would agree with that. Christian churches. And you and I could probably name a couple. But um, that's a real thing. In this spiritual warfare talk, it's a real thing that people can look, sound, act, feel, behave godly, yet the fruit, going back to that, the fruit coming out of their life is evil. And the things they're teaching is evil. The things that they are doing is the practices of demons but they do it with a smile exactly so what i want to do as we get started into who the devil is is i want to go through a list of names and i'm just going to read them off because the bible refers to the devil in many different ways some of it's a formal name other he's referenced with some sort of title to describe him and so the devil has many different names Of course, the devil has been around for a long time. He knows many different languages, probably languages that aren't even known to humans, I'm sure. So, but here we go. We're going to list off some names here. So, of course, Satan, which means the enemy or oppressor, Lucifer, light bearer, morning star, which is also comes from the word Hillel, cherubim or cherub, the devil, slanderer, father of lies, God of this world or God of this age. Great dragon or fiery red dragon, serpent, leviathan, 
Beelzebub, which means the ruler of devils or the dung god. But remember, the Pharisees actually called Jesus Beelzebub because he was commanding the demons to leave the demon-possessed men and basically didn't deny that the demons left the man. They're just saying, oh, well, he's the commander and the leader of demons, so therefore he's Beelzebub. So the Pharisees right. called Jesus basically Satan, which is very blasphemous, of course. Uh, more names for Satan. Power of darkness. Roaring lion. Remember, Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So here we have some of this mimicry, this right. taking who God is, trying to emulate Christ, but with the perversion and with a twist to try to steal glory from God. Um, he's also known as the tempter or tester. Prince of the power of the air. And we'll get to that one. That's in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll get to that in a later episode in this series. Uh, the wicked one, the thief, the murderer, the adversary, angel of light, uh, also known as the accuser of the brethren. So all these different names and titles refer and describe who Satan is. We do not want to be deceived by Satan, but he's quite capable. And we see in some of these names here, again, as Adam was referring to, an angel of light, Lucifer, light bearer, the cherub, the morning star. Those sound very nice. So if you were to talk to somebody, say, hey, how about the the morning star, the angel of light? Right. And you start to embrace that or some churches actually get into angel worship where they start praying to angels. We're not to pray to angels. We read that in the Bible. And so whenever you see these things, we need to really watch carefully what we're saying out loud, what we're professing, what we're teaching, what we're doing, who we're praying to. You only pray to God. That's it. Not Mary, not angels, not saints, not people, not statues, God. Right. And also the names kind of give you a lot of information. So one cherub is a type of angel or cherubim. It's a type of angel. It's a hierarchy of angel. But then also morning star, um, what it refers to is, the star that when the sun is coming up, the very last star that you can see before the sun just wipes it out in the atmosphere. In other words, it's the brightest shining star in the night sky. And it's the last one you see before daylight completely wipes out the sky with light pollution in the atmosphere, if you will. But it lights up the atmosphere. That last one that you can see is the brightest shining one. And that's what he's referred to. In other words, as an angel, he's the brightest shining angel. He's like an angel's angel. And so the, the names give you a lot also. Absolutely. And it's very helpful because the Bible is not silent on who the devil is. No. There's a lot of information in there, and we're going to, again, get into it. So what we're going to do, let's look at some passages in the Bible. And what we're trying to walk you through is some chronologic order, if we can. So I don't know exactly when the devil was created, but the devil's a creature and he was made. And Ezekiel 28 verses 11 through 19 speak to some of this. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. And then this next portion of scripture will now begin to speak specifically to who Satan is is whenever he was created and in the beginning before the fall. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, 
Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings, that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitudes of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So looking back at the top of this passage, you see that he was created and he had a seal of perfection and he was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And then he had this covering of all these different stones and it lists them all off. And it's these stones represent different aspects of his service to God. And, and just on that note right there, this is a very similar glimpse of the stones that are put in the high priests with the Arionic priesthood. Right. As they go into the Holy of Holies, they have this breastplate of stones. That's part of their priestly garb. And each stone represents different things, including the 12 tribes. But here there's only nine. But with the priestly garb, there's 12. There's three more. And I've heard some speculation on this, and I'm not too studied, but it's interesting that some say that God wasn't done with Lucifer and he got too full of himself, and then God never took him to where he wanted him to be in full service to God. I don't know. Right. Uh, I mean, that's speculation. It's kind of extra biblical. It's just an interesting discussion. But these nine stones are found in the priestly garbs, breastplate, of the 12 stones, but there's three more for the priest. I think it also speaks to the fact that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he completed and he fulfilled the full role of the priest and the leadership role and worship to God, the corporate worship. I do think that there is some substance to stand on there with that um, declaration and interpretation of what these stones mean and what they were doing there. But anyway, I don't want to get too much on a tangent, but if you're interested in this, look up what the priestly garb looks like. And then the 12 stones on the breastplate, it's a really interesting piece of, I don't know what to call it, equipment, whatever that's on their, their uniform of sorts. But then listen to this. It says, then it says the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So I know you, Adam, uh, involved with worship, if you want to speak to this one. Right. So timbrels are like just tambourines. So percussive noisemakers, I'll put it that way. As you would play a tambourine, it's percussive with a beat and sound. And then pipes are used like a pipe organ. Emission of sound, a trumpet. 
the entirety of the pipe of the trumpet coming out to the bell without all that tubing, you don't get the same sound. The length of it creates the tone of it. The longer a trumpet is or the larger it is, the deeper the sound. And then as you push the valves up and down on a trumpet with the finger keys up top, what it is is there's different passages cut through the vertical pipe underneath that valve. And as you push it down, it aligns a different set of pipes, which changes the overall length of the tube. And when that happens, the longer or shorter it is changes what notes you're getting. That's just kind of how a trumpet works. But so that's the effect that you get there. You get that effect of music, of sound, of percussion, of tones, of worship at that point. So if you have a priest, as you were saying, who also is musically created and gifted, you basically have a worship leader. That's right. And he's up in front of the heavenly hosts. Right. Because it goes on to say you were on the holy mountain. You were walking back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You can look at this in other areas of Ezekiel and even going over to Revelation, what it looks like in the throne. He's at the throne of God. Right. And it even says, just before it says you're on the holy mountain, it says you were the anointed cherub who covers they were covering the heavenly host and leading them in worship to God. And again, he was created and designed for this role, this purpose. All right. And I want to jump up a little bit, go back to a previous verse. It starts in 13 with saying, well, no, let's start up in 12. He says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And then 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. So being in the garden was listed among his accomplishments. I personally have always found that fascinating because when did the fall of Satan happen? There's a lot of speculation. It happened in the garden that the seduction of the woman to eat the fruit was the fall. And there's a lot of talk about, Oh, is it jealousy? Is it pride that look at all of my accomplishments? Look at all that I'm adorned. I walk among the fiery stones and yet God's favoring these humans. What's up? Yeah, we're going to get to that because that's an excellent point of the chronologic order of when was Satan, well, then he was called Lucifer. When was Lucifer created whenever he was perfect? And then we see how he was built and what his function was and what he actually did. He did this for a little bit. How long? I don't know. One time, two times, two million times? I don't know. But he did it. He fulfilled some of these roles, and then he sees, I'm good at this, or I'm gifted, or I'm above. He sees the hierarchy, the authority given, and he's basically at the top of all creatures as a creature himself. Because we see here in this particular passage multiple times, when I created you, when you were created again and again. So we know that the devil is not God. He's not divine. Right. And so with what you were saying a second ago, it says you walked among the fiery stones. And we were saying that's at the throne of God. So it's almost saying it's an accomplishment that you walked the fiery stones. In other words, nothing else in creation comes this close. And we've already established what Morning Star is all about. So if you're the brightest, like angel's angel, like you're the top of the angels, you're at the top of creation, and you even walk at the base of the throne, think about what that does to your pride. Because then what was found in you, pride was found in you. And we're going to get to this in a little bit. But in Isaiah, he says to himself, I will sit on the seat of the most high. 
And if you're walking at the base of the seat of the most high and it's the only thing bigger than you, it's the only place that you haven't ascended to yet, it becomes a goal. If you look down on all of creation and the only thing that you're not above is that throne, that's temptation. Right. And we know what the end result of his actions and his... right conspiring ideas and motives were because he, he went for it and we know what happened, but we're going to cover it again. It goes through and you were on the Holy mountain. You walked back and forth, the fiery stones, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Just as Adam said, till iniquity was found in you. And then that was it one time, one time. And so some people say, well, is there any pardon for the devil or aren't we supposed to love everyone, including the devil. Don't we feel sorry for the devil? Here's the bottom line. There is no redemption for angels. There is no redemption for Satan himself. And while we're on this topic, tonight's not the discussion about other fallen angels and demons of that nature, but let me say this one thing. We'll get there. Yeah. Let me say this one thing about tying in to how we're describing who Lucifer was and who he is now. He was very beautiful, very powerful, very, I guess, domineering in his presence compared to the fellow creatures, as we've already said. And he was so convincing that he could actually overthrow God that a third of the angels believed him so much that they went for it. I mean, what were they going to do with God anyway? Hey, it's my turn now. Hey, let's rotate who's on the throne. Right. I have to think that they were looking for total annihilation. We killed our creator and now we are in charge. I mean, I mean, what else, what other option is there? And he's so convincing by the way he looks, his capability, how he sounds, how he talks, his intellect, all these things. He's so above the rest of them that a third believe that he can do it. Like, I'll take on God. You follow me. I'm going to take him out. And then we're going to establish our new kingdom with us. Who's coming with me? Yeah, I think you can do it. I don't want to be on the losing team because I think you can, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like all these things, I'm kind of dumbing it down to humans, but think about these intellectual beings that are far superior to us, human to cherub or human to angel. They're far more superior. Now, they sinned. They rebelled. And the bottom line is there is no redemption for them. Why? Because they already experienced the presence of the Lord in person in the real face to face. And then they turned away. There's no coming back from that. We've never seen the Lord face to face. We have his word. And then we come to him through faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen and the substance of what's hoped for. And we have his word and the faith that pleases the Lord. Remember what Jesus told Thomas, blessed is he who has not seen and then believes. Right. And he was in the midst of the throne. So there's no coming back to that in the way that God set this up. So that's why there's no redemption for angels. I guess one of the reasons why, other than that just God said so. So it does set the stage, as Adam mentioned before. It sets the stage of who this individual is. Who are we up against? Who are we dealing with? Where did he come from? And how did he get to this point of being evil? And it was pride. It was vanity. Well, and also you use the word evil, but it's a very simple definition. If you oppose God, anything that is not godly is evil. So when you use the word evil, 
especially in context with Satan and discussing his previous roles, it makes it sound like everything in his person completely rolled over and he became dark and he became decrepit, kind of that imagery that we're used to having like we talked about. But what it really is is you have a worship leader who loses his muse, if you will, and he's created to worship. He's created to do these things. But now because of pride, he's been banned. He's been thrown out. He's left with these gifts. So now it's, well, what do I do? Man, I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to create worship. Worship for me. I don't care. Worship for the stones. Worship for the sun. Worship for the moon. Worship for anything but that guy. Right. And remember, he leads people in worship. Right. He creates these different methods and forms of giving glory to and then fill in the blank. Right. And again, we'll get to that right now of, of how he began to fall. So Isaiah 14, the fall of Lucifer would be the title of the section of the Bible, starting in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? who did not open the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit, like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. So here's an interesting thing that I like about this one, just as a jumping off point. In 16, it says, Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? And in my head, the way that works is, again, going back to the Bible prophecy series, with the Antichrist, Satan controls him, a man, and he runs the world. And then after Christ returns and lays waste to the Antichrist, then Satan is thrown in the pit or in Sheol. And so this is prophetic. It's saying Satan is conquered. He's thrown in the pit and people are looking at it saying, is this the guy who conquered the world? Is this him? He's defeated. He's laid waste on the floor. He doesn't even get a burial. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes back to saying that Satan is not all powerful. He's not all knowing. He's not everywhere at once. And that's where I think this question comes into play. They're going to look at this creature and say, 
doesn't look very capable to me now. Right. But of course, that's after God is bringing the judgment there. But let's look at what happened to Lucifer whenever he was in heaven. Again, some of the names. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And then listen to a few of these lines here that Satan had in his heart before or right when he was judged and fell. And also, before we get into this, I do want to make the specification that anytime it says stars of God, or stars is referring to angels. Correct. So he says, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You hear all these eyes in here? Right. He had a focus problem. He's focusing on himself. It's all about me. And this is where you see pride, vanity, the arrogance. What does the Bible say? If you exalt yourself, I will humble you. If you humble yourself, I will exalt you. Right. The original sin, here it is. The first sin that was ever committed by ever being, we just read it. This is when it took place. This was the first one to go. And then after that, it was a dominoing with all the angels that fell and agreed and, and conspired in on this rebellion and basically started worshiping Lucifer. And then, then it turned towards man as we'll get to in a moment, but this is where it all started. Where did evil come from this moment right here? This is where it was birthed. Thank you, Lucifer, <laughs> but your judgment is coming. It's already prophesied. It is certain there's no escaping it. So yay and amen to that. Well, and then also if you want to get a little bit weird with this, God exists outside of time. So in the realm of God, Satan is both still at his origin and yet at the same time in the pit. He is pre-fallen and conquered at the same time. He's falling and already fallen simultaneously. It's a weird thing when you start getting into time discussions with God, but that's an entirely different study. But it's interesting to see because here God is leading an Old Testament prophet to say past tense you fell, you were conquered, you were put in the pit, you were made a mockery, and at the time he's writing this, Satan's running the world. So this is very fitting, what you just said. This leads me right into Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20, and he's having this discussion, and, and let me just pick it up, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So... They're recognizing the authority that Jesus had. Now, remember, they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is because he looks just like a man. He doesn't look divine. Right. He doesn't have any halo around his floating above his head. And he looks like a regular man, a human. And they're trying to figure these things out. And it goes into what you just said. Verse 18, and this is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's so much to talk about right now right. with this statement, with this fact. So, number one, well, Jesus Christ is divine. Jesus Christ was never born. He was never created. He was before time was even in, you know, I say invented, but even created. 
He was there before Satan, and he was there to see Satan fall. So yeah, all the authority is in his name because he's God. And then he says, you're going to have the authority over all of these wicked entities and all these wicked attacks. You're going to have authority. But look, don't go around because this kind of reminds me of a character that we just read about, Lucifer. Look at all the authority I have. Right. Look what God created me to do. Man, I've got all these entities subject to my command. This, again, sets up what we just discussed about Lucifer and the throne. I'm conducting things. I'm organizing things. I'm telling these individuals what to do. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Why? You have redemption. Rejoice in that. You have redemption. You are evil. You were born into evil. I came. I come. He's about to go to the cross at this point. He's not there yet, but in this chronological order of the Gospels, he's doing his ministry. He's heading towards the cross. He knows what he has to do to die for all mankind, for salvation. He's saying, hey, you need to rejoice that you're going to go to heaven for those that partake in my salvation. Rejoice in that because Satan messed up one time. Boom, done. No redemption. And so it's just very fitting that he's refocusing. Hey, don't be like Lucifer. Didn't work out too well for him. But with that, he's very relaxed when they come to him and they're, they're excited. They're saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like we throw your name out there and they're freaking out. And he's almost in a different place. He's like, I watched Satan fall from heaven. (laughs) And they're saying, what? No. Hold on, like, hold on, man. Like, we just cast down demons in your name. And he's over here like, yeah, but I watched the oppressor fall from heaven. So, yeah, by the way, I gave you power to do those things. So don't worry about that. And don't get caught up with that. Get caught up with the fact that you're not going to suffer their outcome. You're not going to suffer what they're going to suffer. You see that you have authority now, and you know that they're, where their end will be, Be happy that that's not your end also. Don't get caught up with the fact that I, who watched Satan fall from heaven, who cast him out more or less, if you want to read between the lines, don't get caught up that, you know, I gave you authority over him because we've seen it already that in Revelations, God will give other angels authority over Satan to lock him in the pit. An angel came and chained the dragon. An angel came with the keys to the pit and cast the dragon in. Yet the dragon, being Satan, and we'll get there, was the greatest angel, was the largest, the most powerful, the brightest, the angel's angel up at the top. And yet God gives other angels the ability to conquer him. And in the same way, Christ is saying to them, I gave you the authority. Don't get wrapped up with that now and keep your eyes focused. Absolutely. So we as his believers, his people, the redeemed, we have the Holy Spirit of God. We have guardian angels that we can't see that are beyond the veil of the physical realm that protect us from attack. And guess what? Satan cannot do anything beyond what God allows him to do in your life. And we've spoke to that about Job whenever Satan says, consider your servant Job. And then there was this restriction. There was these guidelines that God put in place before Satan was allowed to begin to interact with that individual, a human. Now, if it was Job by himself versus Satan by himself, it's done. It's over with. There's no competition. Satan is far more capable, far more powerful. But the fact that God puts these 
restraints. I don't know how he does it. He's God. He just doesn't allow whatever it is that he doesn't allow. And it just is. And this is one of the things that the Bible speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where God uses these weak things to put to shame the mighty. And this is something that right. we're starting to bring it to us now. This is where we're going to start move the information of who Satan is and then now how this interacts with mankind. So I'm going to kind of set the table with this passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So setting the stage, why does the devil exist? Right. How did we get here? Why is there a war going on? What is my role in this war? If God is good, how come he just doesn't put an immediate stop to evil? Boom, done. Right. No more babies dying. No more floods wiping out villages. No more disease. No more war. No more struggle. No more poverty. No more famine. Why doesn't it just end right now? Well, the short answer is because God wants things to unfold in his time. There will come an end to all of those things that I just listed. And all of those things are bad. They're not good. They're bad. God uses all things to his glory. He will use Satan to his glory. He allowed Satan to have a free choice along with all the angels as well. And a third of them followed Satan. And he is going to make an example. Now remember, Satan is the most powerful creature that we have record of. He's the most powerful one. He's the top. He's at the top of all creatures with a soul and spirit. He is at the top. I don't see any reference in the Bible to another creature that is more powerful than Satan. Again, this has nothing to do with God. God is above it all infinitely. We're talking about the created. Right. And so now you enter in humans. You place humans on this place we call planet Earth. Humans are basically the weakest of all creatures that have a spirit and a soul. We read about all kinds of other creatures in heaven, the cherubim, the archangels, the angels, the ministering spirits, the four living creatures, and other things that are beyond us that are way more powerful when you compare one human to one of these other beings. I'm not talking about animals. Animals don't have a spirit and a soul like humans. It's not the same. When you're talking about beings with a spirit and a soul, the humans are at the bottom, the base. Right. The weak, the dumb, the restricted, very vulnerable. We have very little capability. And so now, again, the stage is set. Well, and if you look at what humans are created for, humans are created to rule the earth. That's really it. God creates 
A planet creates a place, puts man there, and says, take dominion. Name the animals. These are yours. Like it's, it's almost like these are your pets. Like These are for you. Name them. Here's the diet. Eat this, not this. And really in the Garden of Eden, the whole planet was just here for man to rule, to have dominion over. That was our role. It was very simple. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But men were exactly what you said, made as the smallest part of creation, the lowest part of creation with what? A very simple task, have dominion over this one planet. That's it. And then obviously worship. And in the beginning, you're communing with God and all, but have dominion over this planet. It's very simple versus what angels do. Just think about how much is required to serve just in the temple of God in heaven, never mind actually at the fiery stones at the throne, but just to serve in the temple, what the body, the glorified body, the angelic body, what that has to be designed to withstand, to be in the presence of God. We talk about God flying over and blocking Moses with God's own hand, and it still turned Moses' hair white and aged him horribly in the Glory of God shone off him for days to the point he had to wear a veil until it finally faded, which, in my opinion, until finally those cells of his skin died off and new ones were created that hadn't been, had not been glory exposed yet. Not sure how, but yeah, it's, you read about it, it's very physical and very tangible. You can see it. And right. they, like you said, they had a veil. It's very, like, wow, impactful. Right, but that's how minor we are comparatively to all the things in play at this moment. And to go with that, 2 Corinthians 11 and 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So what he's talking about here is Satan appears as an angel of light. He's deceptive. He comes in in a glorious show and those that work with him, serve under him, do his bidding, if you will, do the same. It demonstrates the superiority. Right. The people were duped. They were deceived, hoodwinked. They bit. Hook, line, and sinkered. I mean, however you want to phrase it, they were all in, just like the angels were all in. Well, here comes Satan again, the deceiver, the mimicker, appearing as something good. Hey, we're righteous. We're good. And then they're completely at the service of Satan, appearing to be workers of righteousness. And then God knows their heart, and he says, whose end will be according to their works. So with these things that are stated here, what we're talking about setting the stage, let's go now to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, because this is where we see the first interaction ever of Lucifer, who's already fallen, now coming into contact with humankind for the first time. And look at how the temptation is set forth. Look at the deception, because it was no match for a perfect human. The human was perfect at that point. There was no match. One time. Done. It was like, well, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to keep wearing on you. It was one and done. And that forever changed the fate of humanity in this spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. Now, we'll get to more of some of the motives of Satan, but let's look at the story. 
verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I'll stop right there because it goes into the judgment that he gave to the woman and to the man. That's not the point of this episode. But we're focusing on Satan's first interaction with mankind in the garden. And here's something I find really fascinating with it. We were talking about Ezekiel 28 earlier. In Ezekiel 28, in the first half of the chapter, he says to Ezekiel, take up a letter to the king of Tyre. And it's a letter written to a a human king. And then in the second half, which is where we started reading, is take up a lament or a lamentation to the king of Tyre. And then it's addressed to Satan. So he speaks first to the man, then to Satan, who is possessing the king, if you will. And we'll get into possession. Here you see God curse the snake that was the tool used by Satan. He curses the snake. He says, you are cursed worse than any cattle. To your belly you go, and you will eat dirt. That's the animal, the actual snake itself. And then in the second half of it, the whole thing of you and the son of the woman, y'all are going to have amnesty. Right. And that's prophetic at that point. I know you want to speak to that. Yeah. So as we walk through this, the first thing is that the devil is seen as the most crafty and cunning of them all. So again, recognizing his superiority in this meeting. And then the first thing that the devil does is he singles one of them out. So here's this division, divide and conquer. If they're together, they're probably going to have some accountability. Let's single one of them out. 
And then it gets into this exchange where Satan is beginning to challenge things that God has said. The question, has God really said? Beginning you to doubt and to question and to say, no, wait a minute, I don't think God's right. I don't think that God meant that. And so there's this progression as he's using tactics. We see all kinds of tactics here. Again, I'm just getting into a few of them and and how he's doing it. And then he talks about, hey, you can become like God. He's holding back this potential. And that's what we see in the New Age movement. That's what we see in this whole lie given about evolution. We are evolving. We're ascending. That's what we see in cults, in evolution to the next level, our spiritual level, becoming like gods. It's the same thing. We want to merge with technology and become like gods. Here it is. You can become like gods. You can have knowledge. Knowledge is power. And here it is. It will all be unlocked you know, for you and to you. And so there's this enticing temptation of power and authority. And he's playing to their vanity and to the pride of wanting to ascend and to rule like he wanted to ascend and rule. So you see this moving through his tactics and how he's specifically angling at the human. Remember, before this happened, the humans, Adam and Eve, were perfect. There was no sin in their being. It did not exist. But Satan came, the tempter, in order to bring sin to them because he knows what the law is. The day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And the word there is not die suddenly, but now you are cursed to die. And now the death process begins to set into your physical bodies. Now, the soul and the spirit will live forever. But when you look and you study what this means, and you will die, that word die is a physical death. It is a decaying process. It's moving towards death. It's basically aging until you're dead. That's what it is. So they weren't going to die until this happened, and then now age begins to set in, and they're heading towards their grave. It's done. They're going to die. They didn't die then. We know they had children. They lived for a long time, but they eventually died because Adam and Eve aren't here today. They died. Why did they die? They sinned. The wages of sin is death. So it comes in the physical form. And then she even misquotes God, by the way. You can go back and look at it. She says, and we can't touch it, and that's not what God said. So she misquotes God, so she's not studying her Bible. And then we see this shift, this change. Now they realize that they're naked. There was no knowledge of them being naked. It was just natural. It's just who they were. Now all of a sudden they have shame. They're trying to hide and cover. Right. And then they find themselves hiding from God. That's the result. So when you get involved with sin because it was beautiful, it was tempting, and then you you just totally indulged, and then all of a sudden you have the separation from God. That's what happens. They're hiding. They're not coming out and fellowshipping directly with God. They're hiding themselves away from God, and then they're covering up what God made, and then God's questioning them, and he already knows. He says, where are you, Adam? Do you think that God didn't know where Adam was located? Right. This was a question of, do you know where you are? Do you know the position that you've put yourself into now? You know, the fellowship, the relationship, the standing with God has now been affected by your sin and your disobedience, the rebellion, the rebellion against what God said, which is evil. And we talked about that, what Satan did in the, in the throne or at the throne of God, that he did what God did not want to have happen. And so that's rebellion and rebellion is sin. Well, and with that also, it's really interesting. The second question he asked, he said, who told you you were naked? You know, have you eaten of the fruit? And Adam says, oh, well, the woman gave me fruit. Well, woman, what'd you do? No, no, no. The snake gave me. So it's like this 
trial until you get to the snake. And he doesn't say, well, snake, why would you do that? No, it's straight to the cursed are you. It's not that he didn't know, but it's almost like a trial playing out. It's the, give me the accusation. Tell me, okay, now snake, did you hear that? They just said what you did. Now here's the judgment. Yeah. And just to be clear, yes, there is this shifting of blame. Adam doesn't want to fess up that Adam ate the fruit. Eve doesn't want to fess up that she ate the fruit. It's always like, it was the woman. The woman's like, it's the snake. The snake's like, I have no one to blame. It's on me. The snake was like, it's the devil. <laughs> yeah, it's the devil. Yeah. <laughs> so, and God's like, great name. Yeah. Great name. So here's the point. The judgment comes to all of them. All right. Again, we stop short of where it goes through man and the woman, but they get their judgments as well. But the thing that is interesting about the devil is what we saw earlier. And we're going to get to this in another episode because I don't want to go down this road too far, but it talks about in the seed of the woman will be at enmity with the seed of the serpent. So just to be clear in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the devil and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So wait a minute, the devil's going to have kids? And we'll get into this because this is very important. But this is a prophesying of basically Jesus Christ will come and will conquer your operation. And we know that Jesus was born of a woman, a virgin woman. And so he did step into humanity so this is a prophecy right here in Genesis chapter 3 of Jesus Christ coming to the planet to establish salvation, which is absolutely remarkable that this far back in time, in human history, literally, that there was a prophecy that Jesus was coming to the earth in the human form to take care of this very business, and that again speaks to the divinity of Christ and how God is outside of time. He transcends all time. And so he's already in that future moment. He's declaring, you're defeated. And this is how I'm going to do it. So now we're going to table this part of it for a later episode in this series about now another game is opened up that Satan is going to use as a strategy to try to prevent that. Right. But to keep it here, there's a prophecy that Satan is going to be defeated by Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible narrates the record of Satan interacting with humans in the beginning, referencing how Satan will meet his demise. So we'll just go there right now. Revelation chapter 20, it also has the record of how Satan will end. So we see the beginning, and then now we're going to point to the end. And again, it's so perfect how God is outside of time, and he's at all locations at the same time. That's how we have the record of history that hasn't happened yet. So this picks up right where we left off in Bible prophecy. We address this, how Christ returns, defeats false prophet, antichrist, armies of the world, turns around, points at Satan, angel with chain, grabs Satan, and this is where we pick up. 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them. 
and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So I want to say when we talked about Bible prophecy that we said he's going to be locked up for a thousand years for a thousand year reign, and then he comes back out and that's a different thing. And we kind of pushed past it. Well, well, here it is. So after a thousand years of being locked up and Christ ruling on the planet and there being a literal God on the planet in Jerusalem on a throne, for the first time in human history, despite all of the world religions and everything else going on and all the other deceptions, after a thousand years of this, Satan is loose again. But for a thousand years, I want to focus right there for a second, there's no deception. So to me, it's very interesting of what part human nature will play. Just human sinful nature for those who have not been martyred for Christ and come back with Christ, but people who are just people still on the planet, just having normal lives. And although there's a Christ, there's a literal deity on the planet, how much human nature is going to actually play in and sinful nature that's going to prevent them from coming to him so that a thousand years later, a thousand years of Christ being on the planet to the point it's all but undeniable that He must be a God. It's been a thousand years. Satan can still come out of the pit and deceive. Well, we talked about the different scenarios that God will create as far as environments for humans to demonstrate that the issue was always in the soul. The issue was always a salvation issue, not a victim of my environment. Oh, it was so terrible in the world. Therefore, of course, I'm going to sin and become wicked because the environment's wicked. Okay. Well, then I'll give you a thousand year millennial reign with Satan locked up in the bottomless pit. There's still going to be a fall. That's not going to be an excuse. You're not a victim of your own environment. You're a victim of wickedness, of sin. Again, the wages, the price, the penalty of sin is death. The soul that sins will surely die. And Satan knows these things. So, We have this set up so that way, regardless of what angle you try to shoot through an excuse or, oh, this isn't my fault, some sort of alibi, it doesn't add up. God lays down the gauntlet for in the garden, everything's perfect. 
and then before the Old Testament law, and then through the Old Testament to Christ, and while Christ was here, then during the church age, and then during the tribulation age, and then during the millennial reign. All of these different things dictate and demonstrate that the only way that we ever had a chance was through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of this whole scenario of how God gets the glory. He came and he sought and he saved us. And whenever you look at how this goes down in the end, yeah, there's going to be people yet again buying in to the lie of Satan. Man, he's a convincing devil. And this is something that we need to take from right here, right now in this study. The devil is an old devil. He's been at it for a long time, at least 6,000 years. I'm not going to get into the debate of when he was created, when he fell, when mankind was created, when he started interacting with mankind. Like, I don't want to get into all that, whatever. That's almost not even relevant to the discussion. But the bottom line is, we know for a fact since the garden time to now is about 6,000 years. And the devil has been on the loose ever since. He's been on the loose. He's been experimenting with how to create temptation and deception and create evil and wreak havoc and bring destruction and death and to steal and to lie and to twist. And like you said earlier, anything but God. You don't have to worship the devil. He's not asking you to join the local Satan church or church of Satan. He's wanting you to do anything but God. Hey, be a humanist. Be a secularist. Be an atheist. Be a communist. Be a Buddhist. Anything but Jesus Christ. That'd be great. And he's going to throw all of these different things at you until you bite on one of them. And by the way, again, he's getting better and better and better at the deception introduce technology, introduce distraction. We've talked about this before plenty in other podcast episodes, but that's what he does. And so here we are, and we're being deceived and we're succumbing to his attacks. And we'll talk more about it, spiritual warfare on a personal level in a later episode in this series. But the issue is, is that he's really good at deception. He deceived the angels. He deceived the perfect man and woman in the garden. And he's definitely going to deceive you if you're not in God's word, if you're not looking at who the devil is from how the Bible describes him. And we have tactics here. We're not completely in the dark. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have the word of God. And we need to use them because we are no match for the devil one-on-one. We can't outbox the devil one-on-one. It's not going to happen. We don't need to become arrogant thinking, oh, I got this devil. We need to run to God and we need to run into him because he is our fortress, our high tower, our shield. He is our sanctuary and he is our defender. So we need to recognize that this devil is very good at what he does and he's a deceiver. Right. And just going with that, I have a page I follow on Instagram that I very recently started following and I follow it almost as a course of study for myself. And I don't recommend anybody else follow it because it's just not necessary, but it's a page about Islam. And the reason I started following it was because everything on this one particular page is aimed at Christians. It seems, or at least aimed at modern surrounded by Christianity Americans. So one of their posts was 
what does the Quran say about Jesus? Oh, it says a lot about Jesus. It says this. It defends that his mother was a virgin when she was born, and it sounds really, really good. It sounds very parallel to the Bible. And they really, really drove hard on the, look, we have Jesus too. Oh, hey, we have Abraham too. We have Moses also. Look at all the Bible characters that are in the Quran and look what it says. Nothing but good things about them. And it would feel very deceptive. It would feel very like, look, Christian, like your mom and dad want you to, you know, know about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. You know, in fact, there's a story in the Quran that talks about when Jesus was a baby, he spoke as a baby to defend his mother's virginity. To which I'm saying, I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Not to mention that Mary did marry Joseph because an angel went to Joseph and said, don't fear to take her as your wife. And part of the Jewish custom, not to mention the design of God, is to consummate that marriage sexually. So I absolutely, sorry to my Catholic friends, do not believe that Mary stayed a virgin. I don't. Well, we know that he had brothers. Right. But again, that's not part of the Catholic tradition, so I'm not trying to start a fight. Just... That's the fact of things. But this Quran page is taking that angle. Like, oh, look how much we have in common. We talk about Jesus. We talk about Moses. Oh, you want to know about Ramadan? Well, it's fasting. Many world religions fast, including Judaism and Christianity. They have fasting also because of the closeness it brings you to God. And it's very deceptive. It's very, come in closer. Let's talk about it. Come in over here. Look at the parallels. Look at how much we... In fact, in the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, up around the top, written in Arabic, obviously, there's invitations to Jews and Christians to join Islam because Islam is the finalization of the Jewish, then Christian faith. This is an excellent part of this of this recording of this episode, is that this is where we wanted to get into some tangible things that the that the listener needs to be aware of. Right misnomers, misconceptions, things that are out there that are established by organizations that have been around for hundreds, if not a thousand plus years. Well, there must be some merit to it. There must be some truth in it. The devil's not afraid to sprinkle truth in with his lie. That's why you see in scripture, if there's an ounce of leaven in the loaf, the whole loaf is leaven. When Satan was tempting Jesus, we didn't read that tonight, but when Satan was tempting Jesus, he was quoting things that were kind of close to what God has said and had established. And then Jesus would clarify, no, this is exactly what is said. This is exactly what God's word says. And that's another key thing we need to take away from those temptations. We see three of them written there. Now we know that Jesus was tempted beyond the three temptations. How do we know that? Because the scripture says that Jesus was tempted in all things of man. And for 40 days. Correct. Not just the three that we read. Oh, that was it. It was just three moves and... That was all he got? No, it was way beyond that. More than we could ever understand at this point, for sure. And so we need to know God's word. There's a lot of misnomers out there. Let's just kind of deal with some of these right now. For instance, Christians go around saying that I bind you, Satan. I bind you, Satan. If there's so many Christians binding Satan, then why is the devil still loose? Right. I mean, if sisters such and such over here bound Satan and brothers such and such over there bound Satan. That's a double bind, huh? Double bound? I don't know. But the devil's loose. 
That's not how it works. And we need to also be careful about speaking to the devil. Why would we want to talk to Satan? Come here, Satan. Let me have a chat with you. Let me give you a piece of my mind. Well, you, you've already, you're already starting to fail. We don't want to talk to the devil. Well, especially not in prayer, which is what you were talking about, where you're saying, Father God, defend my brother here, and Satan, we bind you. You're praying to God. Right. And now you're basically praying to Satan. He's not sitting at the throne with God anymore. Right. You know, and so you more or less were praying to Satan in that moment. Yeah, we don't want to do that. We want to pray directly to God, take all of our concerns, what we're being tempted in or how we're being attacked, and we're giving, this is about Satan, the person of Satan. And we want to go to God with that. God is the one who will deal with Satan. God is the one who will deal with all of his fallen angels and whatever evil spirits are out there. And that's the bottom line. We don't need to go and interact and go find out, well, what's the name of that demon? Okay, because I got to get his name so that way I can speak to him, you know, directly, single that one out. Right. We're, we're going down the wrong path. We need to run back to God and say, Lord God, help me. I'm under attack. I'm feeling tempted. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling proud. I'm feeling arrogant. I'm feeling feeling like I'm being drawn away from you. All, all these different things that Satan throws at us, and he will take care of it. And that's something that we need to think about whenever we're trying to get away from the devil and, and to not be subject or succumb to his tactics. Well, and also you have kind of what we were reading tonight in Luke where he says, yes, I gave you authority over demons. And then you couple that with the verse where it says what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that's kind of where people dig that out. Like we have authority over them and we can bind things. We bind you say, okay, well kind of what you're saying here, Christ didn't even bind Satan when he was being tempted. He said, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say Satan, I bind you. Why? Because God has a timeline to deal with Satan. Satan has a date set. And until then, it doesn't matter how much you say we bind you, Satan. It's still his world. It's still his planet right now. He's still the king of these kingdoms, if you will. So going at him is a fool's errand. Correct. So when Christ says, I gave you authority over demons. Well, we're talking about demons and we're talking about Satan. And authority over is not... It's not the same thing as I bind you because we just read here an angel comes from God with a chain and the keys to the pit and then he binds Satan. So until we get to that moment, nothing else is going to happen to him. He's free roaming in the planet. And anything that you convince yourself that, oh, well, we got authority over the devil. No, you don't. You really don't. You're playing in his playground. Yeah, and just to clarify that, we don't interrupt God's timetable of prophecy just right. as you said. So what does that leave us with? We have authority from the standpoint that we are not going to be made subject to the devil. That's authority. And also to clarify, whenever they came to Christ, they say the demons cower from us in your name, not just they cower from us. We don't just say, bond you, devil. And it's over. I know I have to use a Baptist preacher voice. I apologize. From the South. From the South, yeah. Yeah, so whenever we talk about this authority that we have, that's a good discussion to break down in the sense of we don't really tell the devil what to do. 
because we had this decision that we are going to bind you now. We decided, and therefore I have the authority. I'm going to invoke a name, the name of Jesus Christ. And then now I'm shortcutting God's prophetic timeline. The authority is that we are not subject to the devil. He cannot possess our souls. We are not subject to him. We have an option in the temptation. We can reject the temptation. The Bible talks about fleeing temptation. The Bible talks about resisting the devil, and then he will flee. So when we talk about the authority, there's authority there, but it's not to interrupt the appointed time of his judgment. And I think that's the key of where we really get confused. Like, well, I'm going to bind him. No, that's the angel in Revelation 20. That's not you. Yeah. Right now in your bedroom, hollering at the devil. That's not how that goes down. You know, I don't know the full capability of the devil. I really don't. I, I know that there is restraints, there is limitations, but he has capabilities that are great. Is the devil everywhere at once? No. Is the devil very quick? Yes. Quicker than probably we can measure with a radar gun. Well, and we talked about that in heaven, the idea of traveling at the speed of thought. Right. In a spiritual existence, in the right context. In a spiritual existence, such as we live in heaven now, the idea that maybe we could travel at the speed of thought, you think about a place and you, you, you're there. Yeah. Um, so as to travel the cosmos that God created to see creation without it taking millions and millions of years to travel the distance. Yeah, so what would that be in the capability of someone who's twisted and perverted like Satan? So he could appear, right. he's everywhere at once and doing all kinds of things. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is Satan tempting every person at the same time across the planet? I don't know. I don't think so. He has fallen angels and other things in play where we are all being tempted. Um, I don't know the capability, but I think we need to be careful when we're saying that everything is the devil's fault. Well, and to go with that also um, about temptation, here's another thing is because we're talking about spiritual warfare, a lot of temptation really is human nature on fire. We are, by our nature, because of sin, because of the fall in the garden, because of the temptation of the devil, we drag ourselves down. And so where spiritual warfare really comes into play is once we turn it around and once we're doing something for the cause of Christ, that's when Satan is, like we said, in discernment. Now I got to take aim at this person. Right. Now I have to pay attention to them because previous to now I could have ignored them and they were crashing their own plane. Yeah, because we were all born into sin, into the flesh body. Right. And sin begets sin. And so when we're born into sin, now our body will reap the judgment in the physical of death. And when we have kids, we pass that on through our seed to our next generation, and then they will partake in death physically. You know, this is assuming that they're going to be born again, okay? But if you're not born again, then you're going to have death spiritually as well. And we've talked about that in the episode Hell. Right. So you're absolutely correct. The devil's not everywhere at once, and I have a hard time thinking that the devil is tempting everybody at the same time. I just I don't see how we can get there because he's not God. He could probably really move fast and faster than what we understand and do something in a moment that is impactful and just what would seem like a flash. So he's moving. He's in one spot at a time, but he's really quick. You know, I don't know. I'm just, these are things that I've thought about. I don't really have a, an absolute formulated answer, 
but I know his capabilities are beyond us because he can step in and out of the veil of our physical realm because he's also a spiritual creature. He has the experience and the knowledge that is way beyond us. Why? Because he was at the throne of God. He's seen so much more of the creation than we could ever fathom. He understands how so much of it works. He's an old devil. He's been around experimenting and trying different things to learn different things. He had capabilities whenever he was perfect, and he's still using those capabilities at whatever capacity that God allows to now inflict his own sinister plan and evil scheme against God's people because he hates us because we have redemption that eats them up. I know it does. We have redemption. We sin, we get forgiven. And then God sees us as perfect. He sins one time it's over and he's an absolute enraged devil. And he hates everything that God loves and holds dear. And he wants to destroy it all. However he can His like this, really strong creature throwing a major fit and a temper tantrum and he's just destroying everything that he can and then you have the infinite God saying I'm going to let this run the course exactly the way that I allow and then I'm going to make an example of you in the end right and also and we're going to dig into this in the next episode also talking about demons but you have demons that couple with the devil and just to kind of give a preview to that just while we're talking about temptation we're going to go through scripture and we're going to pull out some of the roles that demons play throughout the Bible. And one of them is the role of other gods. Now you don't kill a demon. So even thousands of years later, they're still here. So in the Bible, you have the God of Baal, which demands infant sacrifice in America. We sacrifice infants daily. It's called Planned Parenthood. You have the God, if you would, an earthly God, the demon, that set places like Athens and Rome and Egypt into orgies. And here in America, we have a porn industry that is killing young men and young people. And so it's not even the temptation needs to come from the devil. It's more of these evil things have had control of the planet for thousands of years and have been slowly moving it into a direction where, again, our own human nature They're giving us enough rope to hang ourselves with. We see the effects of their work. And now, like you're mentioning, technology to upscale the output, the volume, the impact, the destruction, the wake of consequence and devastation is just increasing as we get closer to the return of Christ. And that's why we said last episode that the spiritual warfare is intensifying as we get closer to the return of Christ, as we get closer to eternity, to the judgments, because the devil knows that his time is short and he's becoming more and more furious and intense and enraged. I don't know how to describe it. He's just, he's becoming more angry and hateful and vengeful, but God is going to allow this to happen because he's says, yeah, that fits right into my plan, and I'm going to show you how in the end. And he tells us, we read it, and we're walking that way. And then another thing to go with this also is you have this idea throughout history, I guess, of selling your soul. And in America, it's kind of been like a funny notion, like, oh, I'd sell my soul for a cheeseburger right now, you know? 
The Simpsons made episodes about it where they made light of it in the way of Bart sitting at the kitchen table and he's like, I would sell my soul for a Formula One racer. And the devil shows up on the front lawn with a Formula One racer. He's like, that can be arranged, you know. It's a joke in America. But when you get into it and you really get into studying these things, the big one in modern culture, and I don't know who I'm going to offend with this. I don't care. But um, the big one in modern culture that really gets to me is um, Beyonce. And you can get on YouTube and you can find a hundred videos talking about Beyonce and supposed witchcraft and supposed channeling and demons and such as the biggest thing being that in an interview, she said the first time it ever happened, I raised my hands up and I felt this force come over me and then I blacked out. And then when I woke up again, the concert was over and it had been amazing. And again, we're going to get into this, you know, a little bit more next week with demons. But then last year I'm walking at work through the break room and there's a TV in there and it just caught my eye. This is just a few months ago that Beyonce's drummer, this is a guy in her band. Okay. Her drummer who is nobody without Beyonce. He's just a, a drummer. He's nobody in himself. He'll never get another gig like that. This is what's paying his bills. Yet he filed a restraining order against Beyonce saying that she practices, and I quote, extreme witchcraft, and he doesn't want it anywhere near him. When I saw that on the secular news, I'm just walking by and just the news is reporting that her drummer filed a restraining order against her because of extreme witchcraft. That shocked me. And I stopped right in that moment and I said, wow, Beyonce really sold her soul. She really did. Yeah, and so let's speak to this. What does it mean to sell your soul? Well, the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Right. So does it mean that there's a contract? I don't know. Maybe there is ceremonies with contracts with satanic priests and warlocks that says we're going to put a spell on you and you're going to be successful in this world. Listen, I think there's some merit to this. Why do I say that? Let's go back to the temptation that we have with Jesus being led out into the wilderness, interacts with the devil. The devil says, if you bow down and worship me, if you forfeit the agenda, I will give you all the kingdoms. They're mine to give. I will give you all the kingdoms in this world. Right. He is the ruler of this age, the God of this age. He has the capability to allow the society that he has influenced and set up and controls and possesses the authorities, whether we're talking political social, economic, military, what have you, that he will make sure the doors are open for your success if you submit and bend to his will, renouncing anything godly, renouncing Christ for sure, denying the Bible for sure, anything that's wholesome, you're against it, anything that's evil, you're promoting and celebrating it, and there's going to be some little uh, silly little ceremony things we're going to do here, but don't worry about that. But there's things going on in the spiritual realm where now doors are being unlocked to be successful in this world. And we talked about this before. Do you really want to be successful in this world, the society, this wicked society that exists? You want to be successful in this world and this type of kingdom, kingdom of money, kingdom of fame, kingdom of talent, kingdom in the political realm? Or do you want to be successful in the kingdom of God? in the kingdom of righteousness, in the kingdom of Christ. Because you cannot serve two masters. A kingdom divided cannot stand. To love the world 
is to be at enmity with God. And so I do believe to get this right back to modern culture and what we see with these super mega rock stars and icons, they are selling their souls for fame, for fortune, for vanity, for pride, to have just the masses just fawn over them and pursue every post and everything that they say. This is something that that they want. It's just like the devil. The devil wanted worship. He's trying to inject his own motive, his own motive operation into people to where they can feel this same invigoration of wanting to ascend and to have the fame. And then all it costs you is eternity. You can have this one momentary little life of being a mega rock star in whatever type of kingdom you're seeking and pursuing. It may not be like music, but it could be in the business realm or what have you. Right. But it will cost you eternity. And the devil's into that type of deal. Whether it's an actual ceremony, a satanic ceremony of forfeiting your soul and committing to Lucifer or to Satan or whatever you're calling of it, whether that's going on or you're just like, you've laid waste and sacrificed everything in your life to go get it. People go and have abortions to sacrifice the kids in their life so that way they, it won't get in the way of whatever aspirations and goals that they need to be focused on. Right. Now, did they go and offer up their kids to Lucifer? Probably not, but the process is still there. But it doesn't change the fact of there's a demonic being overseeing the process behind the scenes, behind the veil, but it was sold to you as a medical thing. Exactly. And let me stop right here. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody and somebody's getting very convicted about things that you've done. Let me, let me just inject this right now. It's pretty heavy. Right. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than anything that Lucifer, Satan, demons have ever done that you're involved with. The blood of Jesus Christ breaks and destroys all this wickedness, and it can break and destroy all the wickedness in your life. So there's no amount of evil that you've done that could overwhelm the cross or that's just too much for Jesus to handle and forgive. And to make that clear, it's about you coming and repenting and confessing that sin. He's not going to forgive unbelief and the mark of the beast and those type things, but he will forgive every single sin that you confess to him while you draw breath. You come to Jesus Christ and you confess these things you can become born again. I don't care how many legions of demons are possessing you or if Satan himself is possessing you. If you renounce the evil and repent of sin, Jesus will forgive you. And that's so important as to how we resist the devil. So I think this is a very good discussion about selling your soul because, yeah, there's an element of truth here. It may not be exactly what you think it is in the folklore of selling your soul and the cartoon and all that because, it, like you said, they make light of it. They distort it. They warp it to make it sound like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't have like that. That's fantasy. Well, and there's a lot of imagery that does go into it. And you can find, again, you can find a lot of stuff about the whole Beyonce thing on YouTube. And we're going to talk a little more about it in Demons, but... There's all kinds of imagery that goes into it, and the same images show up in um, pop culture a lot today. A lot of the same imagery shows up in in discernment. We were talking about um, like Fortune 500 companies or different fraternal groups. Um, a lot of the same imagery shows up, and it's not an accidental parallel. You didn't accidentally trip and fall into an evil thing. You know what I'm saying? Like the iconery and the imagery and the usage of them in paralleling ways is not an accident. It's guided. 
and again, there's reasons behind all the imagery and we'll get into all that. And there's reasons behind what you were saying about the ceremonies and we'll get into all that later. But for just the time being, can you sell your soul? Well, you can forfeit it. You can. It is possible to forfeit your soul. Now past that, the thing that I've never understood, and I just want to sit here and chew on this for a minute, is Luciferians or Satanists, basically, people who literally worship the devil. And if we're going to talk about it, now is really the time. Talk about people who literally worship the devil. It's a very odd thing. In my mind, I think it just started as a let's oppose the Christians thing. But in modern day, you really see the imagery come out. Like we were talking about the tunnel opening where the Baphomet head comes out and there was a whole ceremony with it. And it was like, dude, this is wildly Satanist. This is a satanic ceremony. But it was being presented to European elites like, oh, it's just a play. You know, it's just a little, it's just show. And then there's these Satanist groups that made this big deal of, oh, we have to have a, a Luciferian statue at the public building. Why? Well, because there's so many Christian statues at other public buildings. And they, I don't remember where it was, but they had the statue put out. And things like this. What's coming for these people? Well, damnation in the, the uh, lake of fire. That's what's coming for these people. If they don't repent, you're absolutely correct. Right. So can you worship the devil outright? Yeah, you can. I don't know how their church practices are, whatever they're a, uh, the liturgy of their get togethers, but you can look it up. I guess I personally would not recommend it. I would recommend completely staying away from what the Bible says, even the appearance of evil in my time studying the devil and studying demons. I went through a very in-depth study of these things about 10 years ago. And what I found on the other side of it was at one point I literally had to just put it down and walk away from it because it is very influential. It will drag you to a dark place if you will well it's designed that way exactly you start with curiosity the devil can the devil can use that okay that's a foothold for me you're curious i'll show you and then he knows what to do whenever he has your attention right and my endeavors with it were entirely academic it was entirely watching videos of things and reading things wasn't participating anything wasn't trying any drugs none of that but just being so saturated with it entirely from a study standpoint as a, at the time youth pastor and a worship leader, a lot of it puts you in such a dark place. It's really, really interesting just how influential the demonic spirit of these things really are. Yeah. They're powerful. Whenever you look at it from a standpoint of trying to interact with it on your own, even when we, we're preparing this particular spiritual warfare series and even this particular episode with Satan. I'll tell you right now that there were things happening in my life that were out of left field. I'm like, right. man, we must be onto something with this episode, with this series. And I spent a lot of extra time in prayer. It was bringing me to that point of saying, God, give me clarity of mind. Let me be focused on what I need to do and prepare for this particular episode because I'm feeling the attack that this is going to be something that the devil doesn't want out in the public, out in the open, exposing him and his tactics and how he is defeated. There is no hope for him. And this can bring hope to those to see, oh, I need to repent. These things I recognize now and I need to get away from them. And they can begin to turn away and divorce themselves from things that are evil and of of Satan himself and then begin to 
again, repent of sin and turn towards God and embrace his word. And so even in the midst of preparing this, I'm telling you right now that, yes, there was an intensification of things happening around me that I knew where this was coming from. And you and I talked about it when I was sitting down to put this episode together. I was in a fog. We went from the discernment episode where you sent me some notes and in the course of two or three hours, I put together an outline, sent it back to you, and then you cleaned it up to what you were good with, sent it back to And man, discernment, we pounded it right out, came to Satan. I was in a fog. I couldn't get this put together for a week and a half. You were having issues with it to the point that we finally sat down with it and you were like, man, last night I finally got something out of it. Which is weird because it's a subject that you and I both know so well. And we knew what we were going to talk about. We knew the scriptures. We've quoted the scriptures so many times. And yet when I sat down to put together the scriptures for it, I was in this state of, well, I guess we'll just put this up top somewhere, maybe with this. I'll put this down here and I can't focus. I'm going to go do something else. And I'll walk away. Then we get in this room. We sit down together. We pray over this. We kick it all on. We go over the notes. We start firing. And it's like, oh, there's the clarity. There's the vision. There's the ex- This became so much clearer once we hit record tonight. Yeah, and I think that it was just a hindering for us to get going. And right. I didn't really mean to put this in this episode, but just to be clear that there is a spiritual fight going on. And you can tell right. whenever you're getting effective in your obedience to God and, and doing what he's called you to do and how the devil really hates it. So with this said, we're going to wrap this up with a last passage here, first Peter chapter five. And this is some good scripture for us to stand on as we consider who the devil is and what God has called us to do in the midst of this battlefield. So first Peter chapter five, verses five through 11. Likewise, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Yes. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we have a lot of things that are described here. And we talk about this submitting to one another and and learning from our elders and trying to bring unity in the body and in the brethren because the devil loves division. He loves that. God hates division in his house. And so he addresses that. Then he talks about this thing called humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Again, going right back to what we looked at with Lucifer, first thing, boom, he was proud vanity. I can, I want to, it's about me. And so it goes on to say that we need to be humble. And then the mighty hand of God will take care of us. 
he loves us. He's going to watch out for us. He's going to protect us. And God sees things that we can't see. God is aware of things that are coming at us and attacking us that we're not even aware exists, let alone are they attacking us. We don't even know that they even exist. And God sees it all and he's, he's involved. And then I love what he says here, be sober. And that can include do not be drunk, but it goes beyond that. Don't be occupied. And you go through this thing of sedation through escapism, as we mentioned before, where right. we just want to get wrapped up in whatever. We want to escape into, and then we just become oblivious to everything around us. No, be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, he's going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. So he's looking for the vulnerable one. Don't be the vulnerable one. If you are, he will pounce. He will attack. And another thing I like about this scripture is right at the top he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Here's why I like it. Glad you asked. (laughs) Because I'm Um, old. Yeah. (laughs) Elders obviously being those older than you. It comes with a level of wisdom. And in my mind, wisdom is basically knowledge plus experience. Case in point, I grew up in a carpenter shop. My grandfather was a carpenter. My dad was a carpenter. I grew up working with wood. I know wood. I have a knowledge of wood. Yet every single time I go to build something, obviously I go to my dad's house because he has a ridiculously nice shop full of a lifetime of tools. I get there and I have a design and this is what I'm going to do. And every time it never fails and it drives me insane. My dad will be like, well, why are you doing it like this? Why don't you do it like this? This is easier. It takes less material because that's wisdom. That's knowledge plus experience. You know, he's got 30 years on me, not to mention another 20 of those years of my childhood. So he's got like 50 years on me. So he has the knowledge that I have, how wood works, how to cut it, how to do all these. But he has the experience to look at it and say, this is easier this way. This is a great idea, but it's been disproven or it never works out like it does on paper. Just don't even try it. That's wisdom to a subject. Now take that to what we're talking about here. You and I talked about in, I believe, ministry experience, we talked about how when we first got into ministry, we were a little proud and we were a little arrogant and we did some things that now in the later time we were like, oh, you know, I mean, I really messed that up or oh, I would do that differently or oh, you know, maturity slowed me down. So in the same way, in dealing with the devil, when you're young, you're arrogant and you're, you're kind of foolhardy, you're like, oh, we'll take on the devil. We'll take him on. And I've heard pastors tell me this, youth pastors, young guys, like, we'll do battle. But the experienced elder, the wiser man would say, (laughs) you're not going to do battle. No, you're not going to bind the devil. That ain't going to happen. No, you're not going to do battle with the devil. You'll get mopped all over the floor. Just, you're not going to do these. So calm yourself down, young man. Calm yourself down, young person. And just accept the fact that for your entire life, you're going to deal with the devil. Yeah. As the elder probably goes into his corner to pray to God, say, forgive them for right. they not what they say and what right. they do. You're absolutely correct. And it goes with that experience. And you see it in the Bible. The, yeah. And the devil, he, he's been around for a long time, so he's getting better at his craft and he's getting more amped up as he sees the day approaching. And then the young people, they're coming up and they're full of their life in their prime thinking I'm 
strong. I'm healthy. I have a clear mind. I'm bulletproof. I can eat whatever and still feel great and not gain weight or not get sick. And that changes at 30. Yeah. Right around there. (laughs) (laughs) So that becomes their downfall. And this is a good command. It's a great point. That's just one of the many, many vulnerabilities that Satan looks to exploit among humans. Right. Is, you know, things of that nature. Moving through here, verse nine, resist him, talking about resist the devil, steadfast in the faith. That's the whole point. We're not going to be able to bind the devil. And they're like, boom, we tied him up. He's no longer a factor. We're good here. We can relax. No, we're going to resist and we're going to resist and we're going to resist. And every time we see temptation or an attack coming, we're going to resist. Well, and not just that, how many times have you and I had a fantastic worship service with a great less, just an amazing church service. And we walk away like, man, we took the devil to the mat tonight. You know what I mean? Like we really knocked this out of the park. We had 500 people getting saved another 500 people over here, you know, dealing with God and coming back in repentance and just the spirit and worship was amazing. And the words of, this is all a little bit of an exaggeration, but you get what I'm saying. Just an amazing service when we were in the time of doing church ministry. And yet that was for a night. And then what we go and rest, we're tired. Now we go sleep and the devil doesn't sleep. <laughs> and it's like, Oh yeah, you had a small victory in that room, but I have the planet. And while you were doing victory here, I was having victory at the abortion clinic down the road. Right. That's what you're dealing with. Yeah, that's right. And it's so much further, way beyond your little world, your little sphere of influence and where you impact. And I'm not belittling you, not belittling anything that we do for the Lord. It's just like you said, the devil is so much more capable. His reach is so much further than ours. And so when we think about trying to go, yeah, we're going to go mono e mono or mono e devilo or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't compute. You're not going to win. He's superior to you, but that's why we go to God and we got to resist him. And God's going to be with us in this. Well, and like we already said, sat at the fiery stones, walked the fiery stones at the throne and looked down on all of creation. And here we are at the very bottom. We established man is at the bottom. He sat at the top of everything, second only to God, and looked all the way down at man at the bottom. And then there's man going, we going to do battle. Yeah. We going to take the devil to the mat. And, you know, we have an amazing church service. And like, high five, guys. We did that. Awesome. All right, let's go take a nap. Um, <laughs> <I'm> tired. <laughs> and yet it's he's really unfazed. I mean, that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a relentless enemy that doesn't rest. And like it says here, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I mean, obviously, if you watch any nature channel, whenever lions hunt, say they're watching a pack of gazelles, they look for the older or the younger or the weaker or the sick, the one that's straggling behind to pounce it because it's the easiest to get. He's looking for that opening. Yeah. Now, they'll take down the champion if there's an opening, but what they're really looking for is well, that's the champion. That's the fastest running one. Like catching that one's going to be a pain, but we can take off this, you know, this low hanging fruit over here and really cut down on their numbers. And that's a victory versus taking out just the one shiny one up top. Yeah. And I think it goes on to 
say too that he's seeking whom he can devour, meaning that Leadsman would just said, resist him steadfast in the faith. So we position ourselves in God and in his presence and in his will and his word to where the devil now has to go through God to get to us. Right. Basically, it's kind of a oversimplification maybe, but. Well, then what he says right after that, he says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, people in the world, just everybody is dealing with the same thing with the devil. So you're not going through anything special. Right. Everybody is dealing with him. And there's, according to the Bible, more than are not will be devoured. Yeah, and he tells us how God is with us, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a little while, a while, so right. all the things that we're going through, regardless of how painful or intense the interaction with evil is, it's just for a while. Hang in there. Resist. Be steadfast. God's with you. It's just a while. It's just a while. Even if it's 100 years, that's just a while compared to eternity. Because the devil's going to be thrown into eternal judgment. This is just a while. Yes, you're not the only one. We're all going through it. Seek the Lord, seek refuge in him, repent of sin, resist the devil, steadfast. Just have that faith. Hold on. God's with us. He's not going to lose you. He's not going to lose you. It may feel like you're going through something, you're fixing to go down. Stay with God. He has you. Well, and to go with that, so this is Peter. Paul wrote, so as to keep me humble, and we'll get to this in another episode also, but so as to keep me humble, there was given me a thorn in my side, a demon to torment me. Three times I pled with God to take it, and God said to me, my grace is sufficient. In other words, that's there to keep you humble. And this is exactly what Peter writes here. He says, therefore, humble yourselves. And so he's saying to Paul, look, you came out of being a Pharisee, which you were a pretty pious person at that point as it was. You were humbled by Christ, and now you are serving Christ. And now all these churches, all these Christians are esteeming you so as to keep you humble I'm allowing the torment. Right. I'm allowing you to suffer this so that you don't lose focus that you are nothing without me. Yeah, that's key. I mean, that's huge because we don't want to think that I'll take on the devil. I'll take on everybody. Yeah. That's arrogant. God will get that glory himself whenever he wipes away all wickedness, the wicked one, and all of the wicked followers for good. Well, and if you want to talk about a really weird fight also, Paul was executed by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at that time, murdering Christian wholesale, obviously ruled and controlled by the devil. And we can get into all the paganism of it all later, but the Roman Empire is a pretty evil place. Paul was killed by them. In that moment, it looks like the devil got Paul. Like, I got him. I'm taking him off the board. You lose to me today, Paul. And if Paul had given in, had lost his humility, had given in to pride, had given in to these things, had, then yeah, he would have been conquered. He would have been taken. But what we already talked about, the Bible says, fear the one that can both kill the body and cast the soul into hell, not just kill the body. Although they killed Paul's body, he remained humble. I fully believe that Paul didn't get cast into hell. I fully believe that in that situation, Paul won that fight. Right. And again, where are we headed? He's called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. 
to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then it wraps it up with, to him be the glory and the dominion, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's where we end this. That's where we come to a conclusion. We stand on this. To Jesus Christ be the glory and the dominion, the authority to rule over forever and ever. Amen. The devil's not getting away with anything. So before we sign off here, the devil is very real. And he hates God and everything that is godly and everything that belongs to him. And we are in the midst of the spiritual war that's going on. And we need to understand who the devil is and we need to understand how we resist the devil and what we're called to do as believers and where God would have us be and what God would have us do in regards to the devil himself. And quite frankly, the only hope is salvation in Jesus Christ. If you're not born again, then you need to repent of sin. You need to go to the Lord in prayer, tell him what all you've done, and ask for forgiveness of those sins and recognize that Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross, shedding his blood as atonement for your sin and receive that salvation in your soul, in your heart, and ask God to save you. Ask Jesus Christ to save you, to be the Lord of your life. And then that will really strike a blow to the foothold, to the stronghold that the devil and his evil fallen angels may have in your life. And that's the instruction here. And then when you see the temptations coming, flee. If you know that temptations are rich in certain environments, don't go into those certain environments. And that's what we're left with. We know that Jesus Christ has the dominion and the glory. The question is, is are you in God's kingdom? Jesus has the victory regardless of what you do and what you say. He has the victory. Just like regardless of what you do, what you say, and what you believe, the devil's real and he hates you. It doesn't matter how you feel about the devil. The devil hates you. He's here to destroy you. And so that's where we really leave this whole discussion and lesson and study about the devil is that you are not going to beat the devil. God will. Go to God. That's where the victory is. The victory is in Jesus. The victory is not in your own efforts and intellect and capabilities and piffy little things to say and you know you were the lead winner on the debate team. You need to go to God. God is the one who handles all of these things for you. So please pray for us. We are praying for you. If you think that someone needs to hear this study, by all means, forward it. Let somebody know. We really appreciate the subscriptions. We appreciate the comments. And we are going to keep steady in this spiritual warfare series as best as we can we have a lot of things that are already prepped and prepared and we're still trying to put details together as we're moving forward through this series we're really enjoying this series and i hope you are as well so we're going to come with another episode soon with spiritual warfare and until then i pray that god is moving upon you and you're in the center of his will until next time god bless
Do you want to read Isaiah uh, 14? I can't. <laughs> okay. Are you saying you want me to read Isaiah 14? It's there. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Isaiah 14. How you fall... <laughs> I did. I'm... Why is my ear itching? Dude, I've got this thing in my ear right here. I don't know. It's like nothing's there and I move it and then I feel like it hurts. I don't know how to I'm like, I'm always like checking. It might be a Q-tip. Well, alright. I took a shower and I did a Q-tip. I don't know what it is. I think I got it out earlier. I don't know if it's like something. Debris or something got in my ear. It poked me. It's like, what's all in there? Actually, like, last month before I changed my contacts, like, this eye, every time I put my contact in, was just, like, burning, stinging, like, multiple times throughout the day. And she was saying, it looks like there was a scratch, like, on your eye. Like, something scratched your pupil. Cornea. So I, it's cornea, but go ahead. Either way. The lens of your eye. So I threw those lenses away, and I got new ones out and put these in dude it went away so there was something stuck in my contact lens hmm okay. that's weird well, I don't appreciate know what it was you, appreciate you sharing that so. yeah I know it made you back to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> welcome to crosscast yeah. <laughs> alright here we go very very simple and yet you still have Satan jealously or pridefully coming to man and saying I gotta wreck this I gotta mess this up. And he comes in. Hey, come over here. Eat this. Take this to your husband. Let's wreck shop here. Let's kick you out. We're gonna get to that. Jumping ahead. Okay. And we're gonna get to that in a minute. <laughs> oh. Nice recovery. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, way to clean that up. <laughs> just, just took a verbal mop. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's fixed. <laughs> no, like, my bad. Or rework is just like, hey, we'll get to that. Oh my God. <laughs> Good point. We'll get to that. <laughs> All right. Okay. The refocus. Okay. All right. Okay. And then she even misquotes God, by the way. You can go back and look at it. She says, and we can't touch it, and that's not what God said. So she misquotes God, so she's not studying her Bible. And then we get to this point of, it's true. <laughs> they had, their Bible was like one page. Don't eat it in my garden. Just stand on my tree. Don't eat my fruit. Anyway. Like, like it's a plaque on the tree. Yeah. No touchy. Yeah. So, until next time, God bless. Good. Hey, let's go see our wives.